Welcome to the 401k Audit CPA Success Show, where we're 100% focused on helping companies across the United States prepare for their 401k audit. If you have 100 eligible participants in your 401k plan, then this podcast is for you. Welcome, everyone. This is Kim, and we are here for the 401k Audit CPA Success Show, um, our uh, monthly podcast recording. I have uh, Karen Hill with me, the audit manager um, here at Summit Slash Anders. And uh, I'm Kim Moore. I'm the audit director here. Um, as we talked about in our last podcast last month, um, Summit was uh, purchased by Anders. And so we merged together at the beginning of April. Um, as we're recording this, it's now about middle of May. So uh, we've, we've been a part of Anders for a month and a half. Uh, we're going to continue our podcasts, if anybody was wondering about that. Um, podcast will continue just as before, same uh, 401k audit um, kind of presentation as before, but we're hoping to get some additional folks um, to join us for these podcasts going forward. So, But for this month, you have Karen and myself. And the topic this month, we're going to talk about the SECURE Act 2.0. Uh, if you have been listening to our podcasts over the past um, year or so, there was a SECURE Act um, that was passed back, um, I believe it was the end of 2019, uh, became effective in 2020. And it's Congress's way of trying to kind of update uh, retirement plans for the future, knowing that defined benefit plans went away for the most part for most um, employed folks. And so they don't really want people to just be relying on Social Security as their only income source when they get to retirement. And they know most people want to retire. So the alternative really is an employer-sponsored 401k contributory plan. There's other things out there, and we're not going to get into all of the different structures. We're going to focus uh, for this podcast pretty much 401k contributory plans. Um, but anyways, that SECURE Act 1.0, it was actually labeled SECURE Act, which I believe is setting every community up for retirement, I believe is what that stands for. Um, and it, it really changed um, some rules to uh, make it easier for people to get into plans, um, extended RMD rules. There were a few other things um, that were baked into that SECURE Act, but they didn't get all the provisions in that they wanted with the first go-round, which is pretty common for um, congressional bills. Um, so they're doing a, a kind of a second go-round um, here. Uh, at, to try to get the remaining items that they really want to get included um, into the bill, but it'll be a separate bill, um, and, and it's basically called Secure Act 2.0. A um, little bit about kind of where we are with this. Um, the House of Representatives actually has been working on this, and they passed a bill. Um, it was actually H.R. 2954, if you want to look that up. Um, it was passed at the end of March of this year. And it is now over with the Senate to take a look at it. Uh, Senate is, you know, the, it's the usual process. They're going to review, come up with their differences, and then they'll either pass the bill back. Um, a couple of different things could happen. They could pass the bill back. They could do an entirely different bill. Or they could agree to send it for a vote, which probably won't happen. There'll probably be some changes, and um, and then they'll go through a reconciliation process. So it's not law yet, not a done deal, but we wanted to talk about what's in the major provisions of the bill because it does have some pretty big implications for those of you that either are a 401k plan participant um, or if you are the plan sponsor, most importantly, of a 401k plan. We wanted to kind of keep you updated so 
know, this doesn't hit you as a surprise um, because we do believe it's going to become law. It's just a matter of when and exactly what's included in the bill. Um, so I'm going to start off with what I think is kind of the, the, the biggest uh, piece of it uh, is requiring companies. Now, there's a couple of caveats here that we'll come back to, but for the most part, Companies that are big enough um, are going to have to have a 401k plan, and they're going to have to do auto-enroll. Um, Karen, you want to talk a little bit about what auto-enroll is and how, just in general, how that works? Uh, auto-enroll means that when the participant, when the employee becomes eligible to participate in the plan, they are automatically enrolled at a certain percentage unless they opt out. Um, usually, the percentage is 3%. Um, and usually, and they also usually give them a little bit of a cushion. So if it's, if you're eligible upon hire, they'll go ahead and put you in the plan, but usually you have a little bit of a cushion, like, okay, you need to go and opt out. Um, but usually it's not very long, a couple weeks, maybe a month They right. they give you time to, to opt out. And then, um, if you don't opt out they go ahead and automatically enroll you and and you'll have the the deferrals will be taken out of the participants paycheck and this really does work to increase the enrollment because just like a lot of employees don't enroll in the plan because I don't want to call it laziness but you know it's just kind of like eh, whatever it seems to be the same thing with the opt-out with the the plans that we've audited that have had automatic enrollments it very often you'll they have a lot of participants that are that they're contributing at that auto enroll rate and into the default fund. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's been our <laughs> that's been our experience. So I think what Congress wants to happen uh, once this goes into effect probably will happen. I think there will be yeah. a lot of people um, that will be participating in a plan um, that wouldn't have otherwise. Um, probably companies will offer plans that hadn't um, offered them before because they'll be required to. Um, mm -hmm. The um, opt-out or the auto-enrollment requires it to start uh, per the current law. And I keep in mind everything we're going to say here um, is not law yet, so it's subject to change, obviously, as it goes through its review by the Senate and then the reconciliation process. But the current law requires it to start at a minimum of 3% of salary. Um, so that would mean a company starting up uh, a new plan or if they already have a plan that doesn't have auto-enrollment, they'd have to put this feature in. They would have to start it at 3%. So 3% of an employee's salary would automatically be deferred every pay period. Um, up to 10%. So they could actually start it at a higher number. They could start at five, you know, start right at five instead of three or six, um, up to 10%. It also requires an auto increase feature. So uh, if you started at the 3%, that's fine first year. The next year then, you're going to auto enroll folks at the 3%, but those that were in the plan for a year are going to get bumped up to 4%. You know, and the same thing, next year would bump up another percent, up to 10%. Now, obviously, you know, there's um, options within that. So if you want to start at five, that's fine. And then you'd up, roll everybody up to 6% the next year. You could have an, an option available for people to contribute more than 10%. So it's not like it's limiting you to 10%, but it's just mm -hmm. saying you have to do within this three to 10 and you have to bump it up till it gets to the 10%. Um, you know, you can, you can do other things as well. 
just like you could today. So you could have flat dollar amount contributed. I mean, there, there's mm-hmm. other things you can do that you can do today. This is just saying you have to at least do this. Um, it, it does provide in the provision, as Karen mentioned, the opt-out um, option that is included in the law. So at any point in time, if an employee participant said, I don't want to participate anymore, they can opt out at any time. They can also opt out of that increase. So if you start them at 3%, the next year you're going to bump them up to 4 The employee feels like 4% is too much. Either I want to stop contributing or I want to go back to the 3 They can opt out of the increase as well. So that that is allowed in the law, um, which I think is a good thing because 3% of a salary is a lot different. At least it feels like to me than 10%. I don't Yeah. I know it's not a lot, but it kind of sounds like a lot. <laughs> feels like a lot. Yeah. Well, I, and I think, you know, with the increase, you know, usually there's been, usually people, they get increases in salaries in wages every year as well. So if you're only bumping it up by 1%, it's a good way to get them up to that 10%, which is a better number, higher number. So they actually have some decent re- savings for retirement without right. it coming. I mean, because like, yeah, at 3%, they probably aren't going to notice as much, especially since it comes out before tax. It's going right. to lower lower their tax burden. So, you know, it's not going to seem like a whole lot with 3%. If you started with 10%, that might. So, right. yeah, I, I, right. I, that increases one way. It is a good way to get people to, to mm-hmm. save more. You know, and I, I totally agree with you, Karen. I think, uh, you know, as you get your salary increase each year, it, it's it's more doable, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Better. I'm not not uh, way to put it that uh, you know you may not feel it as much because you're getting an increase. Um, it'll just be mm-hmm. less of an increase because part of it will go to that increase in the 401k. Um, yeah. So yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see how it kind of all um, pans out um, it, if it ends up you know staying this way and uh, you know it, how people react to it. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, we've seen it kind of both ways. We've seen the, uh, certainly it increases participation. Um, we've also seen plans where they have a lot of fairly low compensated employees. Uh-huh. Uh, and so they're only putting in a few dollars at a time. And so it really, you know, you can end, end the year of full year of participation, especially if there's no match with only a hundred dollars right. or something saved, which a hundred dollars better than zero, but still it's, it's not very much. It's not, no. not what you'd want to live on. So, no, no. So. And you know, yeah. And you really though, starting, even starting with 3% and it, of course it depends on how much the person makes, but I re I re- recall, um, the saying that if you save $2,000 a year, which really isn't a whole lot when you think about it for your first 10 years, like in your twenties, and didn't and put in anything more, you end up with more at retirement than if you start in your 30s. Right, right. Because yeah. of the cost. So this this would be a good way, especially some of those younger workers who don't think uh, think about it, get them started, and then they're not scrambling as much when they get into their 40s and 50s and thinking, oh, wow, I haven't saved anything for retirement yet. Right, right. Yeah, very good point. Um, another part of the law that will help, I think, smaller employers, um, mm-hmm. there is there is an opt out or a, you know, excluded employers. Um, if you're a, a very small employer, um, you don't you're not 
required to um, to participate in this. And then there's also um, exclusions for things like churches, <clears throat> and I think other not-for-profits are are excluded. Yeah. So um, again, um, it's ten or fewer employees for small businesses. Um, and that those are that part less... could change. That could be something yeah. one of the part of the provision that changes. What is a small employer? Right. Right. Yeah. So I guess watch this space if you're a really small company and you're thinking, oh, no, I'm <laughs> now I'm going to have the, the administrative fees of associated with this plan. So I guess watch this space. We'll keep you posted. And um, uh, I do regular uh, blog postings each week. And definitely this is something I'm following. So as more information comes out or if that changes, certainly be putting that in the blog. So watch that um, because I, I agree with Kieran that that those details are the things that will probably change. Mm -hmm. um, they, they do have a provision in the law, though, for those folks that are, are going to have to set up a plan and they're relatively small. There's um, credits, tax credits that can go back to the employer for setting up the plan. And it uh, and again, I think these details will all probably change. But <clears throat> currently, it's a thousand dollar tax credit. Uh, not a deduction, but a credit in the first year that you're setting the plan up. And then it, it you get continuing credits over the next few years. I think it goes over five years currently, um, which helps to offset the administrative costs of setting up a plan because uh, it's not so expensive. And there's a lot of cheaper options out there for employers to set up brand new plans, especially if they're smaller. You don't have to go with a big fancy, you know, big plan with a lot of bells and whistles you can do a pretty simple straightforward plan um, not a lot uh, of ongoing fees and costs um, just depending on how you set it up but there is setup fees initially so this is meant to help offset that to help you um, you know so it's not this big burden on the employer so so i think that's a, a good thing um, another option um, that is currently in in this um, law, which ha they've been talking about for a long time, is that they are really worried about part-time employees. Uh -huh. um, it, traditionally, part-time employees are uh, or can be, not always, but can be excluded um, kind of from the get-go with participation in a 401k plan. A lot of employers just kind of exclude them if you don't have... 30 hours a week or some so many hours a year, there's a, usually some type of eligibility requirement around hours. Um, and the part-time people usually don't um, hit enough hours to, to allow them to participate. So big concern um, on, on the congressional side with that, especially for longer term part-time employees. So not somebody who's working part-time, um, you know, maybe a seasonal employee that only comes every so often and helps yeah. you out, but a more permanent part-time employee, which, of course, you know, in our workforce, we have a lot of those right now. I, I have two working for me on, on the team <laughs> currently. So this provides for those folks to be included in the plan. Now, details around that we don't really have yet, and probably we would need to see the regulations that the Department of Labor would put in uh, regarding this. But something to keep in mind, um, and we mentioned this on a, our Secure Act prior podcast, if you have a lot of seasonal and or part-time employees, you're, you're probably going to have to start tracking their hours and you know keep it on a spreadsheet or something because once this goes in, it may do a look-back period. And obviously, if you haven't been keeping track of that, um, mm -hmm. that could be a lot of work for you. So uh, just something to keep in mind. Um, more, more details to come on that. Uh, we talked about this also. Um, this has been kind of a fluctuating area. Um, 
RMDs, required minimum distributions. Um, I don't know, Karen, you want to give a little bit of basic information about what RMDs are? Um, required minimum distributions are for those participants that have reached, well, it used to be 70 and a half, I believe with, with the CARES Act, it went up to 71 and a half, or you could be suspended even for a year. But mm -hmm. once you reach that age, you need to at least start taking a minimum amount out of your 401k account. So usually the, um, Usually, whoever the third party administrator is, they usually can help you keep track of that, and they're well aware that that's going on. But um, that's that's one of the the distributions that's required, and they're talking about raising the age for various reasons. I mean, mm -hmm. obviously, I mean everybody used to retire. retire 62, 65. Now there's more people. The retirement age is more like 67. So mm -hmm. it makes sense to raise that age. Yeah. Yeah. And pe people are living longer. People are working mm -hmm. longer. So, um, you know, you can always take a distribution earlier. This isn't saying mm -hmm. that if you want to retire at 65 and you, again, depending on your plan provisions, of course, mm -hmm. um, there's no, this isn't going to restrict saying, well, no, you got to wait till 75. <laughs> you, you can certainly take it earlier, mm -hmm. but this is saying those required distributions won't right. have to start as early as they would have. And that the other thing with this is that because people are living longer, once they're starting to draw down out of their 401k, they are going to need it to last longer. Mm -hmm. So that's a concern is that they don't want you to get into an older age and now you've used up all your money. Yeah, you had a great plan, but you lived a little longer and you outlived your savings. So so that's another reason why that's in there. Um, it's raising it up to 75. Again, watch this space because this this has been all over the place, as Karen kind of mentioned. It's It mm -hmm. was one number, and then it was another number, and then they suspended it for COVID. And then it, so it's it's kind of like what's what's the age limit today on on, on mm -hmm. the RMD. So so we'll see how it ends up. Um, I think once this gets finalized, it'll probably settle at whatever age that they end up with, unless you know something else happens. Mm -hmm. We have another pandemic or something. But I think if, if it ends up not. at 75, yeah, we are, we're all hoping <laughs> that. Uh, but if, if it ends up at 75, I think mean, it'll probably settle there. It'll probably stay at uh -huh. 75 for a while. I don't think they're going to be jerking it around like they have the last few years. But um, currently, uh, it's set at 75 in this, um, in this law. It does have a um, kind of a provision that it doesn't go to 75 immediately. It, it, it's kind of a staggered over the next few years, assuming that this gets passed into law this year. Um, so it's not an immediate change. Um, just they're trying to take in consideration those people that are, you know, in this age bracket. They don't want to just make a big fall off change for them. They're trying to give them some time to adjust to it, and as well as the providers, because it, it falls mm -hmm. a lot on your record keeper um, as to their tracking it and being able to, to make sure they're in compliance. So, so more, we'll watch the space, uh, more to come on this, but uh, definitely if you're um, getting closer to retirement, something that you'll probably want to keep track of, because it will definitely impact you over the next few years. Um, it, the, this new um, proposed law would increase catch-up amounts to $10,000 um, for those age 50 and older. I mean, currently uh, there are catch-up allowances, um, and most plans allow for catch-up. Mm -hmm. 
So once you get to age 50, you can start contributing more, um, anticipating that you're going to be, you know, retiring over the next, you know, 10, 20 years. Um, and so this is allowing you to contribute even a little more, um, which I think is a good thing. And of course, not mm -hmm. forcing you. This is totally optional, just as ketchup is today. Um, it just allows that amount um, to get higher. So, so yeah. I think that's so, good. And that's a pretty big jump. It's increased in the past. Usually it's been $500 a year though. So mm -hmm. this, this is a big, a fairly large jump. Yeah. If yeah. It and, I, and I think for those who, you know, are on the higher end of the conversation, it's, it's a good thing, mm -hmm. you know, letting you put more yeah. money in as you get closer, if you can, I think is, is a good thing. Um, yes. This next thing is, uh, has been a big topic of conversation. And uh, I mean, you've probably heard student loans in the news a lot. Um, <laughs> And the, the problems with uh, younger folks and their ability to repay those student loans and the debt that they accumulate. Um, so there is a provision in the plan around student loans. Um, it's an attempt to do a couple of things. One, to help the student loan situation, um, just to allow folks to um, continue paying on their student loans. Well, one of the things that the, the congressmen were, uh, men and women were hearing is that for younger folks, it was very difficult for them to start contributing to 401k plan because any money that they had had to go towards repaying their loan. So they didn't have any extra money to be able to make a deferral into a 401k plan. And they felt like, well, you know, we can't really fix that problem so much. But the provision in this law allows an employer to factor into their plan a provision that they can, the, the individual, the younger, I mean, this could be anybody, but focused on mm -hmm. younger people, can make their payments towards their student loan, <clears throat> just like they're, they're doing today. Now, administratively, how this is exactly going to work, I don't know. But the mm -hmm. employer then would give them credit as a deferral, not money, but just a credit into their plan um, as a deferral amount for that student loan payment. And then they would match whatever the match setup is in the plan. So as an example, if I was going to contribute $500 this month as a deferral into my plan, and let's say the employer matched half of that, so they would put in $250. So at the end of that month, I would have an addition to my plan account of $750. The person that was doing the loan, they would make that $250 loan payment separately, would not go into the plan. That would just happen just like it does today. The employer would look at that and say, you made your $500 loan repayment, so I'm going to match that to the $250, just like they would have had that been an elective deferral. So it's a way for the, the younger folks, um, or as long as you're making loan repayments, I guess, to continue to <laughs> at least, you know, have a 401k plan, um, have contributions going in. It would be the match component only, and it would be to whatever match level you know, the plan allows for. Obviously, this is not um, dictating what that match formula is going to be. Um, that's up to the employer. And it would be the same match formula that they're using for everybody else. But it would allow younger folks to accumulate some money in their 401k account. Which I know has been a real hot button for a lot of folks. They really, they really like this. So um, I don't know, Karen, any, any thoughts on that? Um, I get, this is going to, probably be a little bit more difficult for the employer administratively. I guess what they'll have to do is do almost like they're going to, because the loan payments are not made anywhere with, with the payroll system. So it's not something that they can easily track. 
they're right. gonna they would have to submit the evidence that they made the loan payments. I don't know if that's uh, you know. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't I'm, know I'm, how yeah. it's gonna work. Yeah, it's a great, I, it's a great I, concept. I, I, yeah, yeah, which. <laughs> I guess it should yeah. surprise me that they have an idea and really don't understand, don't yeah, know how it's going to work. They haven't, they haven't figured <laughs> that part out and Congress won't. They'll just turn that over to the Department of Labor and then the Department of Labor will probably punt it over to the record keepers and record keepers <laughs> will be, oh, crap. Now I got to figure out how I'm going to make this work. Um, yeah, I don't yeah. know. I don't know. I mean, I, I would think I, I, I guess I was very fortunate. I didn't have to have a student loan. So I don't, I don't really know. I'm assuming the loan payments are the same every month. So maybe you submit documentation up mm -hmm. front and, um, and then, you know, you would have to tell them if it changes and then they would just every month um, give you a credit, I guess. And, you know, yeah. and do a match based on whatever that amount was. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know how, um, I mean, you're absolutely right. They're, they're completely separate processes. So, I mean, uh, you know, you're not, it's not through payroll and it's not through the record keeper at all. It's completely and different. And it's not even like when, when I had, I did have student loans, they weren't very much, but I paid by check. Mm -hmm. They don't pay by check anymore. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so it's not like I can just show a canceled check. See, I made my loan payment. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if maybe you could give them a, maybe they'll require a bank statement at the end of the year and they'll do a match at the end of the year. Yeah. Um, based on maybe. that or something. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how they'll structure it. It's going to be interesting um, to see how it goes. I, like, like we've said, I don't think Congress has thought they, you know, they don't think through the details of anything. They, they just pass the yeah. law and then it's everybody up to everybody else to administer it. So um I guess watch this space. <clears throat> this was talked about with the first Secure Act, and it was in various stages of the bill, and then it got pulled out. Um, like I said, it's a hot button issue, and it's there's there's other kind of things factoring into it, and so they just couldn't come to an agreement, and so it got pulled out. Uh, it's back again, <laughs> so uh, we'll see if. Um, you know, if it ends up in the final bill or not, I don't know. Um, I, I can see the reasoning behind it, and I can see why it's very attractive. And it could be very attractive to employers, because I think if you could offer to younger employees who, you know, it, we all know it's hard to get talent right now. So, I mean, this would be one more thing that you could offer to somebody that, you know, not only you know, are you going to get a job and that will help you to, to pay off those um, student loan debts, but also we're going to match against that. Um, that might, you know, set you up a little bit ahead of, of another uh, competing employer for talent. So I, I can see why it's it's popular, obviously popular with anybody who has this debt and, you know, it, it, it can allow them to have a participant account. But yeah, the administration part is, uh, is an interesting yeah kind of challenge. So, um, so we'll see how yeah. that goes. Um, a couple of other smaller um, components, which um, probably are not as interesting to most folks. Um, it, it is going to allow exchange traded funds in variable annuity option plans. Um, not going to spend too much time talking about that because it's kind of specific, um, but exchange traded funds are popular and um, as are variable annuity options. And there's whole Schools of thought on variable annuities, good and bad, and I don't, I don't want to get into that here. Um, <laughs> but that is, that is something in there. Again, that's been talked about before, so we'll see if that ends up in the final bill or not. 
last thing I wanted to kind of talk about here is an option. <clears throat> this is an interesting one and one that, that we kind of struggle with in our audits um, quite often, um, is finding lost participants. And uh, which sounds strange. How can you have a lost participant? But I don't know, Karen, you want to talk a little bit about what that means? What What is that? That is when you try to, lots, a lot of plans have a um, mandatory cash out if your account balance is less than $1,000, less than $5,000. $5,000 seems to be the most common one. They uh, force you out and send you a check or they roll over your account. Well, if they send a check to somebody, and but they don't have a good address on file, and they can't find you, then you're lost. And that money ends up staying in the plan. And the whole reason for having the mandatory cash out is to get those small account balances out of out of the plan. Um, so the, that's that's what it is. And you know, there's some you know some people they move around a lot so they it's really hard to keep track of them as they move from place to place mm -hmm. and uh, <laughs> yeah I think I think this is going to get more important too as that auto enroll feature comes in mm -hmm. um, you know it employers are interested in their current employees so yes. a lost participant is not someone who works for them they, they can locate them that's not a problem it's once the person leaves employment with yeah. the firm uh, and, you know, they could have worked for you 20 years ago. And you think of all the things that happen. I mean, the person could have died for all you know, and the funds need to go to a beneficiary. And good luck finding a beneficiary. A lot of times you don't right. even have beneficiaries on file. Um, so it can get very complicated if you've had a lot of turnover, um, you've not kept uh, track of those people. You're, su you're supposed to have procedures in place within the plan to keep track of everyone, not just the people that still work for you, because you're supposed to be giving them notices, um, they're mm -hmm. supposed to get disclosures and information about the plan, And but we all know from, you know, real life experience that that doesn't always happen, and so uh, it's very common in our audits for us to see, especially as Karen mentioned, if they're issuing paper checks, um, that those checks are going to bounce and come come back because they they never get cashed, and mm -hmm. so the record keeper doesn't really know what to do with them. They end up going all kinds of places into forfeiture, and then they can get used up for other things they shouldn't be. And you still owe these um, individuals uh, the amount of money that's that should have been in their account that they never got because they never mm -hmm. cashed the check. Um, we've also seen examples, and it's surprising to me. Um, you know, if it was a ten dollar check or something, I could see where you just you can't be bothered to take it to the cash to the bank and get it cashed, but I mean we've seen large checks, large that checks, never get yeah. cashed, which I I for the life of me can't understand. But um, <laughs> you know tens of thousands of dollars of checks that that the person just for whatever reason um, doesn't cash them. Uh, so this this can be a big problem. It will it will cost you money if those uh, funds are still sitting in there. And if it you have a record keeper who puts it back in the participant account, I mean you can end up with hundreds of people that are sitting in this state and you're paying the fee for those plans, um, those accounts, you know, you're paying administrative fees for it. So it costs you money um, mm -hmm. and it becomes an administrative mess if you ever want to um, close out the plan or you want to transfer the plan into a different option. Mm -hmm. uh, you want to move it from one provider to another. I, this is all going to rear its ugly head at, at those points. So, um, and with auto enrollment, it becomes an even bigger problem because you've got an awful lot mm -hmm. of people 
with very potentially with very potentially small balances. Small. Yes, especially in those industries where the turnover is very high. Mm -hmm. And there and the pay is not high. Uh, yeah. Um, so so we've seen um, plans that we audit where they'll have hundreds of people. Uh, with account balances of five dollars, ten dollars, fifteen dollars, seven dollars, um, you know they don't keep track of those people because they've just their turnover is crazy, and now you've got all these really small balances. But you can't just sheet the funds back to the state. It's not that simple. It's it becomes a a real problem, um, getting rid of those people, getting rid of those funds, moving them out. Especially like I said, if you want to terminate the plan, transfer it. Um, you get purchased by another firm. It becomes a real nightmare um, administratively to work that out. So the the provision in the in the um, in this uh, proposed law, which again they've been talking about for a long time, is to require the DOL to set up a searchable database of employees. So so again, don't know how this would all work, but somehow you would be loading employee information into this database. Uh, I don't know if it would like link with Social Security or um, there, there's a pension to. benefit <laughs> guarantee, yeah, which, which a lot of people aren't going to be in there. But their this thought process is to have this database so that if, you know, Karen left our employment and 20 years down the road, I've got to pay out Karen and I can't find her. I could go look in this database and, oh, there she is. And, and then I can make arrangements to get her the funds, um, you know, that, that she would need. I don't, you know, realistically... Is that going to work? I, I don't know. Kind of depends on how they set it up. It's certainly not going to help with the beneficiary situation because I don't think it's got any provision for, you know, if Karen's not here anymore, now who do I give the money to? Um, so, I, I you know, I don't know. Is is It's a good idea. It, it's a good thought. Um, is it really workable? I don't know. Um, I can also see there's going to be privacy issues. If you've got mm -hmm. some government-managed database, we've heard about that on you know, for a lot of other yeah, different that's, things. A lot of people aren't going to like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, probably not going to be popular with some some groups. So, um, so yeah, I don't know. Like I said, this has been talked about before. This may not end up in the final bill, but it is in the current uh, House of Representatives bill. So we'll kind of watch the space and see how that goes. Um, with that, I, I talked a little bit about where this goes next, it's it's sitting with the Senate right now. Um, they are discussing it, so it is. Um, a, it's not like it's dead or anything. It's a current topic. Uh, it can go down the path of either just getting uh, voted on as is. That's probably the least likely option. Most likely option mm. is they do a separate bill and then they have to reconcile the two or they propose changes to it, which again then would have to be reconciled. Of course, then it's got to get voted on um, by the Senate and whatever, or maybe go back to the House for vote, just depending on if there's reconciliation. Ultimately, the bill then would have to get signed by the president, um, currently President Biden, of course. Um, expectations are high that this is going to get done in 2022. So we're not quite halfway through the year yet. So we'll see if um, if that works out. But uh, most of the people watching this say the um, uh, those those people that lobby, you know, for things. Um, so I don't know if that's providers, insurance companies. I'm not sure who who the lobbyists are lobbying for, but uh, they're really pushing for this. Um, I suppose because it means more business for those folks that administer plans um, would be my mm -hmm. guess. Uh, but anyways, they're really pushing for it. Congress is really anxious to act. This is an area that's very important to them because of the issues with Social Security. So um, we do expect um, progress on this. So we'll, we'll keep, um, 
keep watching this space. Like I said, keep watching our, uh, for our podcast. Keep watching for our blog posts. We'll keep you posted if any of this piqued your interest. Um, you know, we'll, we'll keep you updated on, on what's going on with it. Um, Karen, any, any last thoughts before we wrap up today? Um, not that I can think of. It'll be interesting to see what happens and if see some of those provisions that seem to be a little difficult, that might be more difficult to administer or if those make it through mm -hmm. or if yeah. somebody <laughs> mentions, <laughs> <Yeah>. hey, <laughs> wait, wait a minute, what about yeah. this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the, and the Senate tends to have a very different attitude towards things in the House. So, uh, so yeah. yeah, so I expect there will be definitely changes before we before we see any kind of final um uh, document here. So yeah. um, with with that, I think we're going to wrap up for today. I do want to throw out, um, I'm going to give you my my personal email, which is a little different. Um, it's Kim, K-I-M, at, it's Anders, A-N-D-E-R-S, C-P-A.com. Uh, if you send it to the previous um, email address, it still works, but uh, that's, that's the current address. It's either Kim or K Moore, so letter K-M-O-O-R-E, or Kim, at anderscpa.com. If you have any suggestions for future podcasts, um, topics you'd like us to, to talk about, questions about what we talked about today, you'd like to keep posted, updated, you know, posted on, on what's going on here at Anders, um, or just in general with the audit group, have 401k audit questions, feel free to give me uh, an email and I'd be happy to uh, answer any questions you have or consider topics for our next podcast. Uh, with that, I think we'll wrap up and thank you everyone for listening. Enjoy this podcast? Visit our website at summitcpa.net to get more tips and strategies for achieving 401k audit success. We're here to be a resource with ever-changing rules and regulations.